Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Welcome to episode 21. That is right, 21 weeks, 21 episodes of Short Story Long. I can't thank you guys enough for the support, and most importantly, as you've heard me say before, the feedback in the iTunes store. It's been amazing. Um, So much positive feedback, so much feedback, and like I say, every single episode, that helps me so much. That helps the standings on the charts, that helps the ratings, that helps everything. So thank you guys so much. If you haven't done it yet, please go to iTunes. Um, and leave feedback on the iTunes store page. Rate, review, let me know what you think. Let me know your favorite episode, what I could change, what I could do better. Just let me know. Um, the other thing is promo code for youngandreckless.com. Promo code SSL. I see a lot of you have been using that. Uh, that's amazing. 40% off your first order, only for short story long listeners. Uh, I just want everyone to go there, check it out, see the product, see what we've been working on. It's really exciting. I'm really proud of it. So go there, type in the promo code SSL and get 40% off. All right, let's get right into it. This week I'm sitting down with my friend Joe Huff. Uh, Joe is a friend of mine that I met about a year and a half ago. And and I got to say, he's one of the most uh, positive sort of influences on me and I don't get to talk to him too much and that's why I was really happy to do this episode but you know we had dinner uh, a year and a half ago or so that's where we met and he was just talking about the way that he looks at the world and the way he organizes his schedule and the things that he's been through and just how his outlook on everything from taking some time to meditate to making sure that he works out enough to make sure that he's decently healthy Um, and all while not forgetting to still get drunk from time to time and have a good time. He's not one of those guys that preaches to you about how you need to be more healthy and how you need to be more spiritual. He's a great guy, really just has his head wrapped around a good balance in this sort of living, working balance game that we're all trying to play. So anything from becoming a, a, a full-blown drug addict at, in, as a teenager to then pulling himself out of that working really tough jobs, starting companies, having huge success with companies, then getting into charity work and philanthropy work. And now he has a really, really successful headphone business that gives back and gives hearing to people who who were never never able to hear around the world. So that's it. That's all I'm going to do. This is an incredible story. Please pay attention to this one. There's a lot of gems in here. There's a lot to learn from this episode. So that's it. Episode 21, short story long, Joe Huff. All right, welcome short story long uh, with my good friend Joe Huff. How are you, brother? Good, bro, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming, man. We're here in my kitchen. Uh, Usually I've been doing these things at at the office. I have like a little ghetto rig set up, but I'm starting to kind of, like I'm building a little set where we're going to do video and have it be more official, but this will be episode 21, so I'm kind of slowly but surely like putting the pieces together. I like the kitchen. It's like a nice casual atmosphere. Yeah, it is. With like my little weird plants and my, like it looks like this is my normal thing kind of plus we're we're neighbors and it's a lot easier for me to get here than the office yeah we just found out how actual neighbors we are like stones throw literally we just saw the top of your house from my house (laughs) it's incredible um so thank you for coming and doing this most importantly thank you for having me yeah what um where are you from joe 
Well, I'm originally from Chicago. My family, you know, we were born and, and semi-raised as kids in Chicago, um, but my, my parents moved to SoCal when I was pretty young, when I was about seven years old, so okay. I acclimated well. I definitely uh, was raised in the SoCal lifestyle. So you really you remember Chicago well, or like it's just kind of a small blip on the childhood radar? Oh, I'm, I remember it well, but it still, you know, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't defining. I have two older brothers that are three and four years older than me, and they were much more uh, Midwest. Yeah. Now they, they were already. How much older? How much older is the oldest one? Four years. Got it. So. Do you feel like, have, do you feel like you suffer from any bit of little, little brother syndrome? You know, I don't think so. I think if anything, it kind of toughens you up. You know, we, having three, bro- you know, two brothers, we're all boys, you know, we fought all the time. And, yeah. you know, the size difference when you're young, you know, three and four years older, you know, that's a massive actual size difference. They were generally almost twice as big as me. So I lost pretty much forever until I was a teenager. Yeah. So, But did it give you, like, I, I say with me, like a big part of my drive I think comes from like always being the worst because I have an older brother who's four years older than me and he was Mm. better than me at everything and it made me so mad that I had to work so much harder to try to like shine at anything yeah I definitely think I learned a lot from the experience of never being able to win basically survival tactics you know (laughs) come in very handy uh, and you learn them in a way that you would never learn them because it's by necessity so you feel like you're the toughest of the three I would say so yeah. yeah I just feel like that has to be a very common thing I wonder how many successful people our younger siblings. Well, you can't be a bully. Not only that, I would say that I'm much more empathetic than the than the other two. You know, like they and they're they're very you know they're great guys. I mean, we have great relationships. We're all super close. Um, but having been picked on, just you know, by nature, like that happens when kids are kids. They're they're mean and bully-ish, especially the the kids they can be especially their brothers that I'm sure in their defense I was probably incredibly annoying you know I was their little brother probably broke all their stuff and all those kinds of things yeah but as a result though I always empathized you know with anyone that was being picked on for anything so be and and again as I got you know into grade school you know when I was in like sixth grade seventh grade eighth grade and I was becoming like a pretty tough kid from the ability to fight back against my brothers, I generally used that skill set to stand up for all the other kids that were getting picked on in school because I just wasn't having it because I could completely relate to what they were going through. That's interesting. Are your uh, older brothers successful? Um, Yeah, they're definitely successful. Are they they entrepreneurs or they, they have jobs? Uh, one is actually one, my oldest brother, um, he has a job. He actually works for the company that I started before. Um, but he, it was kind of an interesting route that he took. He had, um, gone through like the career path and then decided to go back to school. Um, he had gotten divorced at, you know, 10 years into an early marriage that he was in, um, and decided afterwards to get back in back in school and he went and got um, his degree and then he got his master's and then was actually working on his PhD and teaching um, but along that path he met someone had a couple kids he got married again had a couple kids and the pressures of trying to raise kids on a 
yeah. professor teaching salary was kind of a lot, so I actually wound up giving him a job with my other company um, that was a logistics apparel company, but, uh, and he's still there. He's been there about 10 years now, and he's like the director of all their technology. That's great. Yeah, so yeah. he's got a I great just, It's gig. interesting, not, I'm no psychologist, but just I think one day I'll, I'll do some reading on like the effects of older brother, younger brother. Yeah. I do think it has so much to do with like how you're mentally crafted. Yeah, you know, I have a, you know, this is, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm, incredibly positive as you probably yeah. know and remember but um i i look at the positives of everything generally speaking but i'm still also very aware of patterns and just a, you know realistic about how society kind of works and it's funny because if i think of every single family that i know personally that closely whether it's my own you know extended or so or so on very few people in immediate families all still talk as they get older and older and older, as their lives get more complex, there's falling outs constantly. And I think that's just really strange. You know, I think that, that I, that's kind of probably part of, uh, you know, evolution though. You're, you're kind of geared to move away from your, your gene pool. (laughs) Are you like really interested? I'm just so interested in that sort of stuff. Like why does, why do things happen? Like I'm like a mini Malcolm Gladwell. Meaning, yeah. I have no intelligence. I just wonder a lot. <laughs> well, that like, is, there has to be a reason why this happens. Do you do that too or no? Definitely, definitely. There's a, there's a quote that says, uh, knowledge is a love affair of answers and wisdom is a love affair of questions. Yeah, so, I like that. That's kind of right now. How I just I have feel. a lot of questions, but not a lot of wisdom. That's why I do this podcast. I just <laughs> yeah. get to ask questions. No, it's. Uh, it, I think it's really interesting. I really do think that you know everyone is hardwired to you know most of the time. That's why you know kids get once you t- turn into like a teenager, your instinct is to move away, get away from your family because it's you have to. You can't stay too close, and you know most in most instances, like if you look at family trees most of the time and they spread out like you know, if you go back a hundred years your relatives are all over the place yeah. everybody's not all in one neighborhood generally yeah, that's nature huh yeah let me ask you this because it has absolutely nothing to do with where we're going but i just was listening to it on the way home on a joe rogan podcast um, and it's something that like torments me a little bit but what's your opinion if you have one on like what percentage of your brain is acts on free will and what percentage of your brain acts on sort of a predetermined nature you know what i'm saying you know how there's groups of people that yeah. think that everything's kind of predetermined and essentially saying which this is the most depressing thought in my head that everything is kind of pre-planned for you because mm. it's just you're acting with nature it's calming that's why people think that though i feel that's like religion doesn't that's, that's doesn't like, that like faith yeah in general. you're right but doesn't that like drive you nuts to think like well what am i even yeah, I don't think that at all, though. I mean, I, I think that, you know, there are odds that are stacked for or against you, you know, based on how you were raised and what, you, you know, what your luck of the draw was. You know, obviously all of us that, are, that were, happened to be born in America, for instance, we have a huge advantage in terms of our opportunities than a lot of people around the world. With that said, though, it's still, you know, we're dependent on our own actions to achieve, you know, whatever it is we're going to achieve. And I think that the people that focus on whatever their dreams are, are generally always happy because they're going, even because I I think that the problem is a lot of people think that 
the goal is the end result, but that's never the goal. The goal is to be pursuing something. That, that's what gives you fulfillment. So if you think that it's all predetermined, I think in a way it's calming because you don't have to worry so much, but at the same time, that removes all of the fulfillment you would get out of yeah. having purpose. Yeah, I've never met a successful person that said, oh, I don't know, it was just predetermined. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean, it's luck it's, for sure. We yeah. could all say like we were in the right place at the right time when yeah. we had the idea, but you still had to have the idea and act on it. Yeah. You know, it, nothing. It just, just sometimes happens. when I get in the rut, like the most negative thought that exists in my brain is the thought of that being possible. The yeah. like, what if we're all just part of some yeah, some alien experiment? Yeah, <laughs> man, I hate it. Um, okay, so getting back on track. So. So you moved. <laughs> I just got really existential over here. <laughs> it's funny because I literally just, I was like halfway through this Joe Rogan podcast and it has been bothering me since I forgot about it when you came over. And when we kind of got into it right there, I was like, oh, what's your opinion on it? Do you, do you think that? No, I don't at all. Yeah, I yeah. think that, pretty much in line with you, I think that obviously where you were born, your environment when it's out of your control, meaning when you're younger, uh, has a lot to do with forming kind of how you think. And I think genetically your brain works a certain way. Mm. But I think that the same way genetically I'm skinny, I could get fat or buff if I wanted to. I don't right? know about that, but... <laughs> uh, one day I hope to be fat and tan. Um, I don't know if it'll ever happen. Yeah. But I could change that if I wanted to. I could mold that if I wanted to. The same way if you were born, you have an obese family, you can get skinny if you want. Now it might be harder for you than me, but it is what it is. I think the same thing with your brain. I think you can... You have to realize your weaknesses, but you can work on them and you can strengthen them and you can, whatever, you can make your own. Whatever I do tomorrow morning is at the end of the day, my choice. Now I, I, I might be more predisposed to being lazy or having a bad attitude because of circumstances in my past or my genetics, but it's, I think it's on you to kind of yeah. fix that. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty extreme, you know, on the side of that all we control is how we think and feel and our actions are just a effect of that and we 100% control them. Yeah. You have to work at it though. It sounds like with that said, it takes work. You know, you have to actually just like you said, you could get buff if you want to work out or get fat if you want to eat a lot, but you have to plan that and work at it daily or it doesn't happen. And it's the same thing with your mind and your choices and your perceptions. Okay. I'm going to put a little bit of that till later. Cause I really want to get into that. Um, <laughs> So you move to Southern California. That's where your sort of childhood personality, everything was kind of sculpted, right? Definitely. You surf and do all those things, right? Yep. And that all came obviously from yeah. living here. Yeah. So what, um, what was childhood like as far as like, what were you into? What did, what did a day in the life of, an, of a nine-year-old Joe look like? Yeah, I was, you know, I grew up in that era of true latchkey kids. So we, my parents moved us to this suburb area here, Diamond Bar, Walnut um, area it's called. And, uh, and at the time, these were the best schools. Um, you know, it was just like they thought this would be a great place to raise kids. They both worked. You know, my parents, we were, we were lower we were definitely lower middle class, so, you know, client, they were just trying to climb the ladder. And uh, as a result, it, my, having brothers that were <clears throat> nine and 10 when I was, you know, seven years old or so, six years old, and then from there growing up, um, back then it wasn't that uncommon to not have babysitters and, you know, those kinds of things. We literally would get out of school and we would be on our own until our parents got home from work it's around 5.30 or 6. That, like, that's so normal. Yeah. 
And now it just seems like you get arrested. It's crazy. Right? It's like your they would your neighbor would call the police. Like I saw, you had a thirteen year old kid that was alone for five minutes. That's alarming to me. Yeah. I feel like it's gonna make the it's world's gonna be control. so soft in like twenty years. Well, that's why a lot of the rest of the world is, I think, advancing beyond the U.S. in a lot of ways because yeah. there's a lot of hungrier people that you know don't have it's that the, or die. You know, like there's people. I've heard people say things in environments where they're like, oh my God, there's two steps right there. A kid could fall down those. It's like, they're stairs. Yeah, like they're the all over. should the fall down them. Yeah, then. and they'll figure out how they work and they won't fall down them anymore. But yeah, so we, we would come home and, uh, and just kind of entertain ourselves, which was fine uh, up until a point. You know, we were pretty active. We, you know, we lived in an area where we actually mostly rode BMX bikes um, until we were old enough to like ride dirt bikes and that kind of stuff. But we were too, me and my brothers were too poor to actually have our own dirt bikes. So we were really into BMX. We skated. Um, skating was a bit of a challenge because we lived in a really hilly area, yeah. so it wasn't as we definitely as uh, much of a pastime as I would have liked that to be then. Um, but yeah, we actually that kind of all turned into. We all did really well at school um, until um, my brothers both graduated, and then right in high school years, um, I completely just imploded like drug the whole. Really? Yeah, yeah. I actually started think? really early. Uh, you know, it's funny because I think, you know, I think I'm a huge believer marijuana should be legal. I think alcohol is much more dangerous oh, and yeah. just a much more violent type of, you know, problem. Um, and, and again, I, of course, drank and do all the other things at different times, I'm sure. But um, when I was younger, I smoked a lot of pot. And when I did... Um, it all started because one of my friends, I started really young. I literally, we literally started when we were about nine years old yeah. and it was cause one of my friends, dads smoked and he had a ton, like literally he'd have like grocery bags in the garage of some cheap ass Mexican, you know, yeah. cess weed or something back then. And we would steal, we didn't even know, like we, uh. we were so dumb and un, well not dumb, I guess we were kids. We just didn't know. And nobody talked to us about any of this stuff. So we would actually roll our own joints and smoke those like individually. We, looked, we thought they were like cigarettes cause yeah. we didn't really know what was going on. But because of that, um, because by the time we understood what really drugs, bad, blah, 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 we had already done some and we weren't afraid. Yeah. And then that just opened. I know, I, I, I know most people probably don't think that, you know, it's like a gateway drug. It was 100% a gateway drug for me because it yeah. broke down the barrier. And then by the time I was in like middle school, we were trying all kinds of stuff. And then by the time I was in high school, I became like a full-blown crackhead for about a year and got kicked out of school and this whole... It was a big process, yeah. But it almost seems to me like, and maybe, it just seems to me like it was almost a gateway drug in the way that had it been legal and regulated and... Talked about. Talked about. Totally and fucking, different. like, cigarettes or, like, alcohol yeah. is. You never would have even had that gateway. It's because you looked at weed the same way you looked at crack, and it was Literally. like, oh, it's all a drug. Yeah, you know what straight I'm saying? up. That seems like a flaw, like a mistake of society. Yeah, because yeah. I know I just think that the standard gateway theory is more like, oh, I smoked weed, and I, I just couldn't help but then do some coke and then I couldn't help but then you know yeah. what I'm saying as opposed to like, like that. oh it's all evil it's, it's all the same yeah right? it's just an association thing 100% yeah. and yeah this is really why I have this philosophy to go back to our earlier conversation yeah. though about that it's all 
you have the choice because there was a moment where I definitely had to make a very, very, you know, strong choice and then, you know, act, you know, act on it before my life was pretty much over. And, uh, you're saying to get clean, to get clean. Yeah. yeah. And, and I did, I was able to actually make up an entire year of, uh, high school in the summer and go back to school and graduate on time um, in my graduating class. And the second I graduated, I moved from where I grew up because basically, you know, all my friends, everybody was, you know, it was a, not a great environment. So you, like, what age would you say that you were full-blown, like, really doing drugs? 15, 16, I was, like, hardcore. And that didn't happen to your brothers? No. They just missed the... They smoked weed here and there you know but like again i just started you think it was part of your early. personality like you're definitely you're real definitely gung-ho let's yeah, do it and, all and also because i had older brothers another side effect that i don't know if this happened to you as well but um my friends were always older like yeah. i had friends that were always you know a couple years older than me yeah. even at a young age so you know i was kind of getting into things ahead of where i probably should have or would have been better equipped to deal with it so and then you you found did you find on your own that sort of clarity of like i need to clean this up no who would that who helped you my with that my friends and family both like so you know again it was a pretty serious you know spiral for a minute there and uh and a couple of my close friends that i'm you know, of the people that I grew up with, the only one of them is one of the only people I really talk to still frequently. Um, but yeah, that he actually physically kicked my ass at one point and was Just like, like you, "Stop!" Like you, if I'm every time I see you, I'm gonna, you know, Beat punish you yeah. until I know that you're, you know, and uh, and I actually, you know, I I was clean for like a short period and then I, you know, fell off and he found out and he kick my ass again. I was like, yep, he's serious about this. Man, that's a real friend. <laughs> it's a real friend. Holy he, he's shit. a great, great guy. And then, um, and then my mom, actually, there was a, a very specific moment that's completely etched in my memory forever where I had basically stolen, I was like 15. I'd stolen the car and driven to like the crack town that was in the ghetto, like Compton kind of deal. Yeah. And, uh, in the middle of the night and I didn't have a license or, I mean, again, I was just so crazy. And, uh, and I, she had noticed that I had snuck out and stole the car at some point because they were asleep. My parents were asleep. And, uh, and when I got back, they were up, or she was up, and I was just completely, you know, annihilated out of my mind on drugs. And, and, and uh, she was devastated. She had been devastated for months. She was, like, really struggling because she, she had figured all this out and didn't know how to handle it and was trying to help. And, and, uh, and she basically said she was giving up on me because she couldn't handle it. Like, she was just, like, yeah. her heart was just breaking. And I just remember I was like, no, 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 you can't give up on me. If you give up on me, then... That's it. Yeah, like, who's going to care about me? Like, it just kind of all, like, hit me, like... I'm about to be like on my own in like a, a yeah. world that I don't even qualify to try to operate was, in. Was there like, was it like any depression issues or like pain issues or it was just for just, just to do it? I mean, if you, if whoever's listening to this yeah. and, and even in the room right now, I'm, I can't emphasize how addictive certain drugs are yeah. over others. I mean, the addiction factor on crack or you know now like all these painkillers i mean it is not you know a joke it's like if you not think, like weed it's not even <laughs> like you know people think like cigarettes i mean it's like 
times like a, a thousand it's the craziest sensation ever like you don't care about anything you're trying to get high and you're it, and it's it's the thing about some of those drugs too is it's just like really crappy because it's a really short high that immediately you want more you so you you're it's just a terrible terrible situation crazy so then was it just the friends and family that got you back to school and got you back to finish high school well, once I started to turn it around, I started to, that was kind of like this big revelation of, wow, like I can, I can beat this. I, not only that, it was, it was like, I can make a decision that seems very unlikely. And by just really working at it, I can do it. And that was incredibly empowering. Yeah. As soon as I started to accomplish like this turnaround, I was like, wow, this is this is something that is going to be very helpful the rest of my life. And, you know, to kind of add on that, so all of my friends, I had been in a bunch of the gifted and whatever kind of classes um, throughout school up until this point. So I knew, I, I was one of those people that kind of knew everybody. I hung out with all of the smartest kids in school and all the athletes and jocks and all the punk and stoners and whatever. I was just kind of across all those channels. Yeah. So all of my friends that were all the kids that were overachievers you know they were like oh you know joe's a mess he's a drug addict (laughs) like what's going on with him and and really you know kind of you know looking down at me i guess and then when i got back to school and everything everyone was super cool and it was like you know all good and then they all went to college and i was already like completely pulling out of the you know, drug scene. Yeah. And then they, a lot of my friends that hadn't even tried anything yet, all of a sudden got away from their parents for the first time. And, and now at a time when it's actually probably more impactful in your life, you know, when it's like, you know, 18 to 22, when yeah, you actually, like when shit really starts to matter. Yeah, exactly. I actually ran into some people afterwards and they were like a wreck. And I was like, man, I'm glad I actually kind of went through it earlier. Cause yeah. it gave me like the push I needed to get out and, and, you know, make some changes so was that initial push like that was really like a snowball effect in the sense of like because what got me is when you said that at that age that young you had the presence of mind to know that you needed to like move away from friends and move away from the area but was that really like a snowball effect from just seeing that you had the power and then you knew okay I got to get away from this I got to continue to move forward more so than just graduating high school and then no, it was like I had to get away. Um, and that was really, you know, actually, I, I would attribute that to my mom as well, because, you know, my entire teen years, I hung out with like a bunch of, you know, just the hardcore punk rock, you know, just everybody was just trying to get in trouble kind of thing. Yeah. And every time we would get arrested or get something would happen, I would say I wasn't doing anything. And she would say, well, you were with them. You know, I don't care if you were or weren't. And I didn't really, you know, it didn't really click. Um, but then really, though, at that, toward the end of high school, a couple other things happened. Some people got really, and people went to jail and people died and stuff like that. And then it was like really real. I was like, okay, you know, my mom's right. It actually is just being with, that is the common denominator is like this person or this group of people. Like that's what's, you know, if I'm really going to, you know, take responsibility. I have to just yeah. remove the situation and the people. That's crazy. It's and would you say that from that moment is when you had? That's when you gain that mentality of like it's all on. It's all you can do whatever you want if you set your mind to Sky's it. Sky's the limit. Yeah, literally, hundred yeah. percent. I thought if I could get out of that because it's really a you know I I laugh about it now and it's terrible to laugh about but it's a low odds you know. 
oh, outcome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, most of the people that were in that position I was in didn't have the result that I had. You know, so that was pretty empowering too. I thought, wow, if I could, you know, overcome that kind of those kinds of odds, I should probably keep striving. At that age, did you have lofty like? goals like did you yeah, think always what, my whole life what was it at, let's say in the age of let's say right when you pull out of of the drug phase you go finish high school what at that point was kind of your dream or your you know we were you know we again like we had been lower middle class um i would say up until middle of high school and we, my just when my parents were starting to get into i would say maybe middle middle class um some things started to not go well for them. By the time I graduated high school, right at that time, my parents actually got divorced. Um, they lost the house and wound up moving, um, right? Um, I had already moved out. I moved out for a couple months, right, in the area, and I was trying to move to the beach to get away from everything. I wound up moving to the beach with, um, to Newport Beach with uh, two girls I met at a party. <laughs> so, How long afterward? I mean, like, I met them at a party, and I told, they asked, you know, I don't know how it came up. I said I wanted to move to the beach, and they said they wanted to move to the beach, and like a, this was like a week or two. <laughs> That's uh, incredible. Yeah, they're they're really funny. Um, but yeah, and um, but yeah, so that whole uh, period, you know, was like um, I didn't really have a lot of options. Yeah, it kind of hard to like if you if you miss a year of high school. And even though you have a really cool story about how you made up a year and went back to college, I mean, back to school, um, graduated, I missed the year, I missed my whole junior year, basically. Yeah. I didn't take SAT. I couldn't go to college if I really wanted to. I didn't have the money, you know, or anything to do any of that kind of stuff. So um, that wasn't an option. So I basically had to start thinking of things I could try to do, start, you know, entrepreneurial ideas, et cetera, and work multiple jobs. I basically, at that point, from around 17, I basically started working like uh, two to three jobs at a time for about the next, um, yeah, 15 plus years. Really? Yeah. So was it every like, shitty job you can imagine? <laughs> was it in your head like I, I you didn't have a like, survival was first and foremost. But was it like I'm gonna be rich one day? Was that in your definitely. head? Definitely. Okay, definitely rich, but you didn't know exactly how. Yeah. That's such I, a st common, I still don't. <laughs> yeah, right? That's such a common thing that I hear in these things. And I guess I had I had a similar mind state when I moved here, but like I think it's an important lesson for kids to know and for people to learn is like you don't have to have it all figured out, but you have to push forward. You know what I mean? I think yeah. a lot of kids like are 16 to 18 or whatever, even 20 something and don't know exactly what the plan is on how mm -hmm. you're going to be successful. And so they kind of just give up. Yeah. And like, oh, well, it's not for me. I'm never going to be successful. I think that just continuing that like by any means necessary, I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. It's such an important, but it's such a reoccurring thing that comes up in these conversations that I've been having. Well, there's a couple, there's two things that kind of, that I think about when we talk about that kind of stuff. Um, number one, what really, you know, is success, right? Yeah. I think people think that, you know, being rich is success and the older you get, the more you realize it's not, you know, there's a actual, there's a huge, one of the biggest studies on this topic, it was 50 something thousand people over a period of like 20 years. But um, the, the the happiness level basically of people after it, at the point of $70,000 a year in annual income, it flattens out. So 
basically you just really need enough to kind of survive. It flattens out just forever. Basically forever because people, after that point, you're just trying to get more than you have. And, you know, you don't really need more in the, in the survival sense, you know, like you actually have enough to live and eat and have a car and do things, and, you know. So from that point, it's like, I want a nicer car. I want to eat better things. I want to do, you know, so you, you, can have a really nice life at that kind of level. So, but that's just an interesting thing to know that it's that low. It's not like at after 300,000 or 500,000, it's literally at 70, it's like 72,000 or something. Um, so I think that's something that is, is key. And the second thing that is important to just really hammer home is that most people, I would say, I would say 90, five percent or more of all people don't know what they're doing or what they're going to do and or the ones that do that went into a career for instance like the lawyers and doctors and a lot of them don't like what they do you yeah. know that because you had to make a choice that was a long time ago and life isn't necessarily about doing the same thing forever like you can do something for you know, 10 years and decide, you know what, I think I've done enough in that thing. I'm going to do something else now. I've gotten to where I feel like that was all I wanted to do there. I'm going to hang that up. I think there was a big moment for me when I, you know, as I was getting older, like when I really, truly realized that nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. Nobody. Even people that seem like they have it all figured out, even fucking maybe except for uh, rocket scientists and brain surgeons, I hope, uh, literally, Nobody knows. Everyone's just doing the best they can out here and trying to figure the shit out. And most of the time, if you look at all of the greats throughout history, all of them say that the work is the fulfillment, whatever they're doing, yeah. right? It's not like, oh, I did this thing and then I got paid or I did this thing and I got acknowledged or I did this because that's just a specific instance the actual creation of what it was and like the, you know, yeah. figuring it out part, that's the fun. That's the, you know, you have to make that part the fun. Do you think that when you were working in the phase for 10 years, when you were working shitty jobs, were you still happy? Like, did you, did you still have like a happy, like I yeah. just enjoy life? Attitude? And I still believed I was going to have the best life in the world. Yeah. yeah, I still do. Yeah. So you had a very similar attitude that you do right now. It's incredibly, yeah, definitely similar. And what, what were some of the worst jobs? Oh man, I did, I pumped concrete. I did construction. I worked in a ton of restaurants and bars and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I did landscaping. I mean, Jesus. all kinds of manual labor yeah, things. Moving. Oh, we drove moving trucks for years. We did, um, we worked for a company that did furniture and another that was just mattresses, ortho mattresses. We drove a bobtail truck. It's like you picked the worst jobs. But they paid like a little more, you know, again, when I was a kid and, you know, like 18, 19, 17, 20, whatever, yeah. you know, all of a sudden, you know, back then minimum wage was like five fifty or $6 or whatever it was, you know, so to be able to get like $12 an hour was like, oh man, I'm going to yeah. actually be able to, I'm going to get two happy meals tonight, you know, it was yeah. like a big deal. <laughs> so we yeah. were, yeah, like I lived on fast food and, you know, the, yeah, it was that's the real deal. Yeah. That's, like, that's not like, yo, I had a job once. Like, that's no. a real fucking, you went through it. Yeah. What, um, and never no college, because college just was never an option for you. No. And so you kind of had, what's so interesting to me that, that I'm learning is like, it's almost like you had this crazy drug issue, but it helped you so much in the end. 
right? It helped you gain this mentality. I mean, I still wouldn't have chosen. To, I don't think I could have learned what I learned without it. Probably would have put my birthed, mom through a lot less. Think, <laughs> 100%. Yeah. But think about the fact that it birthed the idea or the, the acknowledgement in you that you can do, you can overcome anything yeah. at such a young age. That's pretty insane. And then to go, then to high school. But then for that same problem to have kept you from college, which then made you realize at a young age that it was all on you because you're not going to be able to go the traditional path. I just think it sounds like by the time you were, even though you were working the hardest jobs in the world, by the time you're in your low 20s, you already accept and know that you're, you mentally can overcome anything and that it's you against the world. You have to figure it out. And those are just two really, I mean, to be set up, that way mentally, I think is a really strong. Yeah, it definitely probably saved my sanity. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just you so easily could have went down like a, not, I mean, obviously, yes, there would have been a million paths better than the drug path, but just a boring yeah. college. I don't know what the fuck, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't know. It's yeah. interesting that those two technically bad events yeah. put a seed in your brain that were pretty... Yeah, you never know. I mean, everybody's got a different path they yeah. got to take to get to wherever. <laughs> so, what, um, you got to choose your path. What was your last job? Well, um, I actually was training people at a gym and at my house. Um, I started doing that. I thought I could probably do that because I actually have always, every time things have gotten really hard, I've worked harder. And to do that, I've always had to stay healthy. So you know, all of my roommates always thought I was pretty crazy because I would, a lot of the time I'd get up at five in the morning and I would basically work one job from six until like two and then another job from like three until like 10 and I would come home and then I would still go work out in at the gym that I built in the garage until like one in the morning and I'd do it all over and they'd go, you know, well, why are you doing, how can you do that? Why are you doing that? And I was like, cause you know, I've, I've got to, I've got to work harder than everybody else because yeah. I don't have the luxury not to, but the heart, because of like having the health and wellness, like that really made me able to work more and, you know, kind of be more productive. Um, and I think when you're, you know, especially when you're, I'm sure at all times, but when you're younger, especially like if you push yourself really hard, then like the five, four, six hours of sleep, whatever it is, is like really deep restorative yeah, sleep. sleep. Yeah, yeah. It's not like a little restless, like I'm going to sleep until noon. I'm tossing around. No, you're like the second you lay down, it's like yeah. unconscious alarm goes off. Well, black, you know, you know, there's yeah. no dreams. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so um, that Where was probably... Where did the health thing come from? Has, has health always been... Yeah, so when I moved to the beach, so when I was to the little brother part of it, yeah. you know, I was always really um, skinny and scrawny and small when I was younger. Just We were just genetically, whatever, metabolism. And then that last year when I went back to high school, um, I basically started, um, I had to graduate. So I had to take, I had gotten so many credits the summer before that the credits remaining um, were things I couldn't speed up. You know, I was able to do like a year of you know, U.S. history or something because I was able to do, read the whole textbook and do all the tests and all that in like a week. But I couldn't do all of these other mandatory things like um, the electives and some of those were like PE kind of classes. So I basically on my senior year wound up with like two different weight training classes with the football team and the basketball team or something. So I was just trying to like gain weight and work out and, you know, be healthy. Um, especially after the drug thing and you know, I wanted to kind of get some health back. Yeah. And, uh, 
and yeah, that just kind of stuck with me. You know, I, I got right after I got out of um, high school, I, when I moved to Newport, I, a guy that lived next door to me, um, randomly right when I moved there was selling some gym equipment, um, that he had and we had this carport. So I, bought it from him and put it in the carport and it's funny because I have that stuff still that was 20 that was 26 years ago I still have the same at your house oh yeah yeah I have a whole gym now like yeah and you notice at that age just the importance of every time shit goes sideways I work out for a few weeks straight and just by getting your health back it really puts things in perspective like you know everything's going to be okay no matter what i don't care what's going on if you're healthy you're so fortunate to be alive and healthy in this world right now i mean that's kind of the mindset you kind of have to have do you fall off sometimes yeah of course and every, you notice instantly every time i you know yeah like my fiance and I, when we started dating, you know, the first, you know, the first six months, like the, the, yeah, the, 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 honeymoon, the phase. honeymoon phase. Yeah. You're eating Pitting out every and day yeah. and going out all the time and drinking and whatever. It's yeah. like, it's hard to do that. So, and you notice a direct correlation to health and just general mental stability. hundred percent. Man, hundred percent. Um, so was that your first, was training people your first sort of entrepreneurial, make no, money yourself thing? No. Um, well, I understood the, the, I understood the mechanics of, you know, entrepreneurialism, I guess, because, uh, because when I was doing drugs, we were selling drugs as well to finance our drug habit. So when I moved to the beach, um, I talked one of my friends into starting a clothing, a clothing line. And we basically just made a t-shirt line and it was pretty short lived and we made some board shorts and t-shirts, but we lit, we had like a thousand dollars that we borrowed and worked at restaurants and that kind of thing. And we turned that into a little bit more and then, uh, that didn't really go too far. And then he wound up starting another company. Um, so I basically walked away from that and, uh, and I was still, again, working in like restaurants and some other stuff. And uh, I wound up doing this job. I got this job where I could make my own hours, where I, I learned the import-export trade. And I was able to do, this is, again, just random, nothing I had any desire to be a part of. But I learned how to um, inspect overseas shipments. And that taught me a bit more about the distribution and import-export process and so on. But it was like a little independent contractor gig where I was responsible for my own hours, my own billing, my own taxes, expenses, all that kind of stuff. So that kind of gave me a little bit more structure and grounding there. So I, I did that with other, again, everything from pizza delivery to whatever you can think of. Yeah. And then uh, after six years in Newport, when I moved to Newport Beach, I very, very intentionally chose friends that didn't do drugs, yeah. obviously. and. Uh, and everybody drank and partied and living in Newport Beach is like going to college minus the school because uh -huh. <laughs> it's a lot of young people and pretty wild. Um, but by the end of six years, drugs were starting to be a lot more around just from friends of friends of friends. You know, you know a lot of people and, and it's just kind of a small environment. So um, I decided to move. Um, I broke up with my girlfriend that I'd been with for a couple of years and moved to L.A., and, um, and that was when I really tried to like start getting a little more serious about like what I was going to do. And it still took me a number of years and it really fell into it. I got into the training, you know, really more to just something I already do to make money. Um, and it was funny cause I actually wound up working out less when I was training people cause I was spending so much time training people that I didn't have time to actually work out yeah. or, or 
you know, be healthy. Yeah. You think like, well, this I do it anyway. I might as well make yeah. money, and then you end up not working. Yeah. Anymore. Actually, the thing that saved my sanity from about twenty to now is skating. I started. Really? Yeah, they started opening all the skate parks, and when Vans opened in Orange, I started going there like three times a week um, with one of my friends. And uh, actually, before that, there was a place in Irwindale that opened up that was an outdoor park, um, and we would just go there and spend all weekend there. But because we wanted to skate, we wouldn't go out at night the night before and party with everybody yeah. because we didn't want to be all hungover. Yeah, that's why I never, even when, as a kid, like I never really partied much, and it was because I just loved skateboarding so much like I didn't have this like oh drugs and alcohol are stupid but it was just like I just want to wake up in the morning and go skate yeah and it kept me away from a lot of bad shit that's that's you know it definitely that was a gigantic part of my health you yeah. know because you know we would skate for a few hours at a time all yeah. the time and just charge you know especially in parks and those environments where it's just it's non-stop yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty heavy um, but yeah, and then uh, um, the how I got to here is um, my that same friend of mine that I grew up with. Um, he had started something, and he was working on that, and it was a little warehousing distribution thing that he. And this was like a little office supply company, and uh, he had a stroke suddenly at wow. 30 years old, and he Jeez. called me. And he had just had his second kid. He had his, a daughter and a, a little son that was just born, basically. And he was like, I, don't, I, I, I need some help. Um, I don't know who to call, but I want to take some time off. He was, like, freaking out, obviously. Yeah. And he's like, I want to spend some time with my family. and da, da, da. So I went to help. I went to work with him, basically, for him, with him. And after we worked together for... a brief period I basically came in and started helping him run his company and and uh it was only a couple people there and you know this was the most time we had spent together in years and I convinced him into starting a clothing line I said let's start a little clothing line just like I convinced my other friend way back when yeah. but this time it actually worked we started this little um just men's knits this is like 2001 or something and uh and we got in all the premium boutiques and we what was it called it was called riv and it was like the beginning of like the skulls and guns and all that kind of era back way back then and uh and it was our it was based on it was based on mexico hollywood surf punk rock that was our jesus christ <laughs> yeah it was, blend. it was amazing actually yeah. and we had this incredible designer he's like now the uh the the VP creative director at Fender. He was at Vans oh, forever, wow. but he's an amazing, amazing, talented person. And uh, he helped design everything. And we, we basically, long story short, we got this little warehouse so we could build a skate ramp. I talked him into, I said, let's get a little warehouse and we'll put the company there and we'll have a ramp where we can skate where we work. Yeah. And before we actually got the ramp in, um, we got a call from one of our other mutual friends, Rob, yep. and uh, he was launching Creative Recreation. Yeah. And he said, I just got my first shipment in. He literally called me like, in a panic. I got my first shipment in. It's at the port right now, and it's collecting like, all these fees, and the warehouse I was going to use went out of business. Can you help me out? I know. Did you build that ramp yet? Do you have room? <laughs> I was oh, like, I'm like, I got you, bro. Yeah, don't worry. Just send it over here. We'll take care of you. And, and he's like, all right, cool. And the next day he calls me, okay, it's going to show up today. Uh, 
by the way, you need to write him a check for like $10,000. And I was like, what? I'm like, bro, we don't have 10. He's like, he's like, I'm in Korea at the factory. By the way. Yeah, by the like, way. yeah, so literally we scrambled and we pulled some money together and we wrote a check for this shipment of the shoes. And, uh, and uh, you know, we got it in and stuck it in the warehouse. And this is the, this is the, I love the story because we put it in there and, he called the next day and he's like, hey, all of our orders are going to cancel. Can you ship our stuff? You know, because we need to send it all. You guys know how to ship stuff. You ship your stuff. So we said, yeah, you know, sure, whatever. So send us the orders. So we shipped all the stuff. And at the time, we had just started playing soccer with a bunch of other guys down in Orange County. That um, We started this little soccer-like league. I was living in L.A. I was living place on the street uh -huh. and uh i would drive down there every weekend and we'd have this super fun soccer game and a couple of the other guys that were playing soccer said hey i heard you're you're helping rob ship his stuff you know we've got this new company and so yeah yeah well, he's like, will, he, will you help us yeah sure so we wow. helped them and their company blew up um as well like right away um and then another company we brought on you know literally it was just all of our friends all happened to start companies that all happened to blow need, up so need warehouses and need help and, and they all grew like insane you know the, the one company the second company i, I remember like the numbers that they, they had just done one season of twenty five thousand dollars at just at barney's the very next season they did three hundred thousand the very next season they did a million and the very next season they did eight million so we, that was clothing clothing yeah so so we were you know growing exponentially we went from this little warehouse that was like the size of you know your living room basically to you know five thousand ten thousand twenty thousand you know forty thousand all in like year after year after year and what happened um, to riv we after we were still doing it poorly by the you know year and a half in because we darren and i both my business partner um we have pretty strong ethics yeah obviously and all of the people, like if you had come to us with Young and Reckless and said, hey, will you do our shipping fulfillment? We, if we said yes, the responsibility to you is greater than to our brand. Yeah, yeah. We could basically let our brand suffer. It always took the back seat. And as we grew that company, it just kept taking a further back seat to yeah. the point where like, we were running it really poorly and we just kind of shut it down. What was the biggest it got? Uh, you mean in size? Yeah, like sales. Rib. Yeah, it was it was literally like a million dollar business. Oh, still, it it yeah. wasn't like still crazy. Real. Yeah, we were in Bloomingdale's and you know Nordstrom and all those kinds of accounts. Uh, so the shipping and fulfillment really almost happened by accident. Almost, a hundred percent happened by accident. But when it happened, Darren and I, Darren's incredibly entrepreneurial also, and right when we saw it happening right away, we were like, this is a business. This is actually, because what was happening was within the first year of us figuring out how to do it, and you know, we actually went like commando style and went to all the other fulfillment companies and pretended to be brands and you know got tours and pricing and then we just copied it like we didn't know what it cost to do this stuff like so we didn't know how to bill anybody so neither of you had no. zero idea we had no idea so yeah we did we basically just figured it out and uh and borrowed you know money to kind of try to do things and when i say borrowed money i mean like a few grand not like big yeah. sums of money and we didn't have any access to anything like that um so yeah so you know that this all ties really into my my journey really because uh we did that um and and we really looked at it kind of like i guess the same way investors look at 
brands. We only took brands on that we thought were going to succeed. So we would meet brands. They'd come in and say, yeah, will you do our fulfillment and services? And, you know, can you do this, this, and this? And we'd say, yeah, I think we could do that. And we'd really talk about it after and go, you know, I don't, I don't think they're going to be a very would good. Would you like take a look at obviously like not necessarily their full financials, but I mean, you dug pretty well. Yeah. The- really more about just the people and the brand, the yeah. product. Like, is this a cool brand? Yeah. Is it going to be cool in a year? Is it going to be, you know, because it has to last more than a year really in the fulfillment business because the first year is a lot of setup and a lot of, you know, infrastructure and all that stuff. So you're, the margins pretty terrible at first, but then once you get into the system and flowing and they're growing, and yeah, we just picked well, I guess, because most of the brands we picked were That's growing. That's a, it's like being a buyer. Very almost. much so. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't realize how well, much taste there was involved in shipping and fulfilling. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not, you know, as specific as a buyer per, per se, but I think that the, the, the interesting thing, the point of that, unlike a buyer, though, that we realized, this is what the, the aha moment was, every year... That as we were growing, a couple of the brands that were like the coolest brands ever the last year would fall off because style or taste and 10 more would, you know, line up, take their place because every there's always a new brand that needs this service. So the style changes, the service doesn't. So that's how we realized, wow, we really have like something. And the, the people, because we did all these tours of other warehouses and fulfillment companies, it was mostly like these old guys in like the Jersey Meadowlands smoking cigars that have been doing this kind of warehousing business for generations yeah so when we would have clients come they'd meet us we're like 30 year old dudes that are from the beach and they'd be like yeah i want to work with these guys this is way cooler than you know going to downtown la and talking to whoever so yeah we grew that company um you know for 10 years um from that that point so at the first two years we were i was still working other jobs so um and actually the another thing that i was doing for i did for about God, for about eight years, I did stand-up comedy while I lived in L.A. Yeah. What? what? How? Yeah. You know? When, like, what? Yeah. That was really fun. That when was did that? Amazing. At what point did you just think maybe? Oh, I when I was around 27, um, we just, you know, again, we were always so happy and always laughing and always cracking jokes yeah. about everything. And people used to always say, you guys should do comedy. And it took me and a couple of different friends and me and one of my friends. I was like, we should do it. Let's do it. And we went and did like an open mic and we did really well. And then we started getting invited to stuff. And then I actually won a festival and I went to the Boston Comedy Festival. And Is this before the shipping and fulfillment thing took off? Before. Yeah. And then I actually did it while the shipping and fulfillment was going on. I did it up until 2004. So I did it for about three years. But that became work, the comedy, which I had loved initially. And then all of a sudden, I was working so much at that point to run this new company that was, it was insane. We were building like racks and infrastructure and computer systems and all this stuff. And then I'd be like, oh, shit, I've got to drive to the Hollywood Melrose improv and do a, you know, 10, 15 minute set that I haven't worked on in a week. And I got to go and and I just really lost that. I wasn't writing new material and so on. So I actually at one point said, I'm going to take two weeks off and I've never done it again. That two weeks turned into, yeah. You think you were just more passionate about 
building a business then? I think I needed to build the business. Comedy doesn't pay anything unless right. you like have a TV show. Right. So, but it was fun because actually with the people that I was working with, like in the very early, I, did, I worked in coffee shops with Andy Samberg, with Jimmy Fallon, with like, I mean, all kinds of people that are massively huge now. We were like in little crappy rooms joking about how broke we were. And, you know, it was really, really interesting to see like how many people do pull it off, you know? Yeah. So I remember when Jimmy Fallon got the, the Tonight Show, you know, like he was working at the improv and yeah. got the call that they wanted him to audition. It's like, that's pretty amazing. But Have you ever felt the bug to like, I'm just going to sneak off and go do a 10 minute set at the Hollywood Improv? Well, I write a lot actually. So I'm, I'm writing some other things now, but I do think at some point I'll do it again because it's really fun. It's one of the few things, it kind of ties right into my philosophy of win, 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 yeah. where, you know, if I'm, if I do well with comedy, basically, if you're, if you're good at it and there's times I'm sure that I wasn't good at it, but most of the time I was good at it where I go, I have a great time. It's really fun to make people laugh. Everybody in the place has a good time. They're all laughing, having fun. The club's making money. Win, win, win. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like nobody's getting screwed. There's yeah. no, like, it's not a business transaction where somebody's losing. It's yeah. like everybody's having a good time. So um, comedy's pretty dark, like, once you're actually in it and doing it. Most comedians are really, really yeah. it disturbed. Seems real dark. Yeah, there's a lot of people that have a lot of in personality problems, yeah. but, but that's a side topic. Um, so yeah, so we were doing that. I was working these couple other jobs, same with Darren. We weren't taking any, we had about 20 employees before we started paying ourselves from the logistics business. And that's like two or three years in. Yeah, it was about two years or so in, and then, uh, it continued to grow. And, um, we got it up after about 10 years. I had this really crazy year where, um, my dad passed away and, and uh, I had already hired my oldest brother, um, so he was working on you know, pretty daily important stuff. And I had gotten to the point, we had just gotten the business to the point where I probably didn't have to work as hard every day and that kind of thing. So my dad was stuck in Tucson where they had to airlift him from where he had been in Mexico. Um, and... And again, there's actually, I skipped over something that's really important to talk about just for a second. Yep. When I was 23, my dad actually had um, a massive heart failure and got moved to the front of the list for a heart transplant, was on life support for about a month. Everyone thought he was going to die. He got a transplant. Um, he had a terrible quality of life for about a year after the transplant. Um, on kind of like a Hail Mary, decided to just go down to Mexico and maybe live it out there for a week or a month or however long he was going to live. Went to Mexico and his health just went bing and just like completely, wow. he had 10 years of one checkup a year in Mexico, got remarried, like lived right on the beach in this little beach town that was just spectacularly beautiful. And I would go down there all the time and spend a ton of time with my dad. And I just felt so blessed and lucky to have that relationship and have that experience and that he had that experience. And that's just another example of you just don't know, you know, what what's next, what chapter. Like that's a chapter, he grew up in Chicago in like a total working class, blue collar Italian neighborhood and then wound up bringing his kids, you know, to California for better schools. And then winds up like living out 10 years in Mexico on a beach. I mean, it's just But amazing. also, is it, is, it, is it to you a huge lesson in like the power of sort of the happiness or the stress-free lifestyle? Or 100%, the, 100%. Definitely. That's nuts. 100% that, that is what affected him and most people I think it is the stress and all that stuff. So when my dad um, in 2010, you know, he basically got cancer, goes to this 
you know, it gets airlifted. It was, you know, kind of a episode of lymphoma that would, you know, rupture and something like that. Um, yeah. so long story short, um, he couldn't move. He couldn't travel at all. He was really, really ill. Um, we brought him into hospice care in Tucson at a house that he had been renting there with his wife from Mexico because he was visiting the doctor so much in Tucson. Um, so I went there and my brothers were both working. My other brother was in San Francisco with his wife, two kids, my brother, had two kids, wife. So they stayed for, you know, they would come out on the weekends and I just went out there and just kind of went through the process of watching my dad slowly pass away. Yeah. And, uh, that made me really, really, really think about, you know, a, you know, at the time I'm like, man, I literally hit the lottery. I built a company. We had about... 80 employees at that point. I'm like, I, I built a company, I bootstrapped a business after all of the stuff you just heard. And then though, I just put it all in perspective. I'm like, what do I care about that though? Like yeah. what, what is, what matters about what I've done? And I just really thought like, when I die, what am I going to think about? Cause my dad was just right there, literally in front of me dying. And I kept thinking, what is he thinking about? Did what he did tell you anything mean? that made that spark that thought or no. did you just, that's no. what you thought? He definitely, again, I was isolated in a Tucson, Arizona house where yeah. I knew no one. I saw no one at all the entire time I was there, but his wife who speaks, you know, broken English at best. And, you know, a lot of time to think I started meditating a lot and reading a lot about, you know, all kinds of different things. But, but yeah, that, that moment was just really powerful. It was like when I die, I think that all I'm going to care about is what I did, or actually more specifically, I'm only going to care about knowing that I tried to make the world better, that I tried to do something to improve things, yeah. that I didn't just phone it in. Yeah. And if that's the case, I thought, why am I not working on that full time? What am I doing with my time? you know, the bulk of my time, when am I going to do that? Am I going to wait? And then who knows, you know, if I get hit by a car tonight in front of your house, you know, I want to know when I'm in the street that, yeah, I was actually going toward something, working toward something with yeah. purpose. And I think to me, that's what karma is. It's like that peace of mind, knowing that you're pushing yourself towards something or you're trying to improve things. Um, so yeah, so I called my partner. That was what age? That was, I was 38, probably, okay. 39, so 38. It's just crazy to me how young you have these sort of deep revelations. But you just have to act on it, you know, and then when you think these things, it's like, I, you, you hear it, we all hear it. everybody, you know, maybe not the youngest people, but anyone probably over the age of 18 has heard that when they interview all of the people in in-home hospice or any, you know, end-of-life moments, they all say the same thing, you know, don't work so much, spend more time with your friends and family, follow your dreams, you know, yeah. and people just go, yeah, yeah, I'll do that later, yeah. you know, because it's no, easier right. to just do your daily BS, right? And I'll say, and then I'll, we'll get back into the story, but I literally, we had a dinner about a year ago, or more, maybe, maybe a little bit more, but where you told me a lot of this mm -hmm. and it really stuck with me. I read the book, uh, 10% happier by mm -hmm. what, Dan Harris. Yeah. Right. And it's I'm not the best one though. I got a better book for you. Yeah. Send it to me. I tried to read one of the, there was like a, a beginner's guide to Buddhism or something. Mm -hmm. I got lost. Yeah. Um, that one's hard to read, but I still am trying to figure out the whole meditation thing, but literally from that dinner, it sparked an entire difference in the way that I think and think about this stuff and what I try to get better at. Now, I'm still bad at it and mm -hmm. I need to work on it, but 
it, that one dinner, that one conversation with you and you telling me this story planted the seed in my brain of how important that is. That's awesome. You know, well, it really did. I hope that it's positive. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. If it ends poorly, don't tell me. <laughs> um, what, um, okay. So then you go back to your partner. Yeah, I, told him, this. I said, I want to, I want to leave everything and start something that makes a difference. I want to start working on something. I don't know if it's a nonprofit or whatever I'm going to do, a social enterprise, blah, blah, blah. And the business is at the top it's ever been. It's really just gotten to the point where I probably could just not go to work anymore. You know, God. we've got enough people working where I could probably just take a nice salary. We could continue to build it a few more years. We could sell it and it'd probably be like a great experience overall. But it was exactly what I just said a few more years. Yeah. And I, it's like, I don't care. I, you know, I, think it, I just, I cared that we had employees that we gave jobs to and gave them benefits and profit sharing and all that stuff. That's really hard to do in California specifically. But other than that, I was like, that's not enough. I have amazing, I have a huge network and, and a skill set that I think I could use to do more. And one of the brands that we worked with that we helped launch was Tom's. So we met um, the founder of Tom's, Blake, when he, that same brand that we met initially, the second brand we ever had, uh, the founder of that brand brand happens to be best friends with Blake. So he called me when Blake had this idea and said, hey, you got to go meet my friend. He's got this new thing. And we had just gotten to the point where we didn't have to take on that small of a brand, you know, like, because those are the worst ones from an infrastructure, you know, drain on our end. Yeah. But we, he's like, we just as a favor, you know, you got to go meet him, blah, blah, blah. So we said, yeah, sure. So we drove over to his apartment in Venice and walked in. He had a couple hundred pairs of shoes and this story about how he just got back from Argentina and how he wanted to sell shoes and give shoes away to kids. And me and my business partner both were like, this is pretty awesome. Yeah. We should help this guy. So, All right, we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, so it was one of those, you know. Where- and at that time, it felt like a favor. Yeah, like a hundred percent small to worry about, but fuck it, we'll help. Yeah, literally, we're like, we got to help this guy, and yeah. we did. We went super all out on that. Like, we did so much stuff to help them get. It was like the very, very challenging launch for some of this on our side, specifically on the fulfillment and warehousing. They had a ton of problems happen in production and all kinds of things. And uh, but long story short, we worked with them for a couple of years, and they they blew up. You know in the couple years we worked with them and was it pretty quickly they blew up pretty quickly um yeah they blew up to you know the millions range and then on like the end of the second year beginning of the third year or so um they basically the ceo of at&t happened to see uh ad they ran as a test in a new york taxi cab and called them and said he wanted to feature blake on at&t's next ad campaign and they wound up running like a 50 million dollar television commercial campaign where it was Blake going, I'm Blake from Tom's Shoes and I couldn't do what I do without AT&T's worldwide coverage. And uh, they went to like a hundred million in like a year or something crazy like that, you know? Um, And then, um, so whatever they went to, they outgrew us um, that year immediately basically and went to a much bigger facility. So I hadn't really thought about that too much or thought about them too much as I was going through this whole thing with my dad. And right as I had told my business partner this whole thing that I wanted to exit, uh, uh, I happened to get an email from their email list saying that, hey, you know, this is Tom's announcing we're giving away our one millionth pair of shoes this month. And I was like, no way. That was only four years before. I was that's like, crazy. that's crazy. And that made me think, wow, we could all do that. Because with my background and the way I grew up, 
you know, I always felt like philanthropy was this like elite club for rich people that I just I was disenfranchised from that. I couldn't participate. I, I don't have, I'm not Bill and Melinda Gates. I don't, yeah. I can't be involved. What do you do? Yeah. yeah. So watching them, what, watching what they did, it just made me think of all the ways I could even just go way further. Like how can we connect people to causes and how, how can we connect people's everyday actions? How do we take everything anyone's already going to do and try to make it have a positive effect, you know, versus try to milk every cent of profit out of it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was it instead of, and again, I think that philanthropy and nonprofits, some of course are amazing, but I think as a whole that, space is pretty broken the, yeah. the old system doesn't work um, and people are disillusioned by it untrusting of it you know myself included so yeah we wanted to do something different that we could measure and you left did you leave the shipping and fulfillment business yeah i actually was able i exited out i wound up finding a another private um another uh individual to buy me out yeah um that my old partner still has the company and it's pretty much what I said it would do. This is already about six years later. They have another, um, basically mirror location in downtown, same size. Yeah. And they're opening another facility in I think Tennessee right now. And, uh, yeah, but there's not a piece of you that regrets or would go back or no, no, no. Yeah. Again, my life since I left, since I said, I want to leave and, and help people. The first, you know, a uh, couple years, I started a company called This Shirt Helps, and we basically worked with um, charity partners that we thought were doing great work, like Movember and uh, Pencils of Promise and Waves for Water. And we produced um, premium apparel products and sold them in Nordstrom, Barney's, and those kinds of stores or whatever, and um, used the proceeds to fund specific measurable amounts of change, like with Waves for Water. We provided uh, a year of clean water for every shirt we sold or we provided um, a month of education with pencils of promise or you know we did disaster relief we helped victims of human trafficking you know with Movember we produced all the merchandise that they sold to raise money for cancer research but we I I went on like the missions you know I went and built schools in Guatemala I went to Haiti and did like water filtration distribution in like the slums in Haiti um we wound up doing like reforestation projects. I went and worked with uh, the human trafficking victims in Southeast Asia. And that then, nuts. yeah, it's all crazy. I went even to like the, the dream center recently mm. and there's victims of that stuff in, from in LA. Oh yeah. And it's just, they come up and they speak and they tell you what they've been through and their stories. And it is the gnarliest, yeah, most heartbreaking thing. What was the most, is there anyone that stands out to you as like the most impactful experience of any of those? Um, you know, they're all pretty, you know, yeah, I guess they're all, they're all different. Right. So initially when we did all this stuff with the shirt helps, um, I think the most heartbreaking place that I went was Haiti by far. And then since then, since we started Listen, you know, um, we've gone to all kinds of places, many, many more places around the world, um, and still Haiti was by far the Just most Just general... Um, yeah, the, the slum that we worked in, Cité Soleil, um, I, I'm not, probably not even pronouncing it right, but it's the largest slum in the Western Hemisphere. It's 500,000 people. 
they have no running water, no electricity, no sewers, no medical care, no police, no schools. I mean, it's like the dark ages. It's really just gut-wrenchingly hard to figure out how that's going to fix itself or it's going to get fixed. And there's just a massive amount of corruption with NGOs down there. So we went in like commando style, like, you know, two people and one security guard slash um, translator guide to walk us right into the mix. And he's local, so he knew all the like leaders of the different factions, so we wouldn't obviously yeah. have anything bad hopefully happen. Um, and delivered directly to the leaders of the different areas, water fil filters that can filter, you know, enough, actually it's like 10 years of clean water probably. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was like really hard just to see like the struggle that people are going through in, in that particular place. And it was really juxtaposed to, you know, um, where we went in Guatemala um, was actually uh, in an area called Panajachel and surrounding area by Lake Atitlan and the people there you know, Guatemala has one of the worst malnutrition rates in the world. Uh -huh. um, and a lot of that's just education and diet based, whatever. But the poverty level is extreme low. Average education is like two to three years for most kids. Yeah. Um, but if you go there and meet these kids, they are the happiest kids you've ever seen. Really? I mean, it was just phenomenal. Like that they have no idea that at least where we were, I'm sure there's definitely areas of you know, intense crime and all these things, but like in like the rural areas, I mean, these are some of the happiest people I've ever seen. They have no idea that they're, you know, whatever term you want to call, like impoverished or whatnot. They're just kids. And even the, everybody seemed incredibly happy, yeah, unlike the, the other places. So. so that stuff obviously just like massively compounded your general philosophy on happiness and where I mean it's just instantly reassured itself where you should be spending your time I'm guessing yeah and and just you know just knowing that you know we're doing something that's directly affecting people and inspiring people to do something else but that led me to where we are now which is um so I was really passionate so I couldn't decide what I wanted to do I was like, well, through I, all of that, I was like, well, no, no. I mean, before we started, the reason I started a company where you could actually pick which charity you wanted to work with and that or wanted to fund yeah. was because I couldn't pick. I, I think that, you know, water is a you know, basic human right. Obviously, education is the most important thing there is on the planet. If everybody was educated, we'd probably solve a lot more problems. Um, you know, when you look at disaster relief, you know, that's just, again, basic human rights stuff where we should all be pitching in to try to help human trafficking. You know, I care deeply. But what I found was not everybody does. And not everybody understands those issues and not everybody really has the ability to identify. Yeah. If you grew up in, you know, again, if you grew up in Orange County, California, you probably don't quite understand how serious like the clean water issue is or, or sanitation or any of those things. Right. Um, so we were trying to, you know, I, I thought, again, I took a step back and thought, what is my purpose? Like, what could I really achieve? I'm not going to solve the water crisis by myself. Yeah. Right? I'm not going to solve any of these issues by myself. So how could I be most impactful? And I thought, well, if I can prove that social enterprise works on a global scale, like if I can be like the Tom's 2.0, that'll inspire more and more people to start companies that are trying to affect change. Yep. And that'll also inspire existing companies to incorporate a tangible, measurable corporate social responsibility programs that their customers can understand and then use to move forward. Um, 
and then you know that's kind of part of my philosophy of being alone i'm not going to change much at all but together we can change just about anything right yep. so i thought what what's something everyone understands globally that we could really try to solve for and uh, or what's something that's everyone everyone's passionate about that we could use as a tool <clears throat> and uh it was music we yeah. came up with music we thought you know everybody's super passionate about music not a particular type of music you know everybody's got their own wherever you live regionally whatever there's some music though that people that you care about wherever yeah. you live so um i reached out to my network and said does anybody do anything in music somebody connected me to my now business partner um bridget hilton who was working at universal music group for 10 years and was disillusioned with the music business and wanted to start something that gave back and she uh, she said, hey, you know, I, I saw, saw this video of this girl hearing for the first time. You got to watch this. And so she sent me this video, something that went viral a few years ago. And since then, there's been a lot more viral ones. But uh, we, the video was incredible. I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And she's like, yeah, that girl's my age. She's never heard before. She's never heard music before. We're like, wow, that's crazy. So um, we looked it up, and the statistics are just, you know, something that I don't think anyone probably any normal person doesn't know about, but it's 360 million people worldwide yeah. that have severe to profound hearing loss. And 80% of those people just don't have access to medical attention. And of the, those people, nine out of 10 of them just need access to hearing aids and they don't, they just can't get them. Wow. So that means there's obviously a massive addressable of people that we could help. So um, we said, let's start a company to, to fix that. Yeah. So the, the company idea for Listen was first, you know, let's use music because they're still even then and now that was like four years ago. We were like, how come there's no real music social enterprise type of brand? You know, there's really it's still bizarre because it's such a you know big industry. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we decided to start Listen to change lives through the power of music that was our goal and then we came up with headphones because at the time in 2012 all these statistics were out about the average person owns you know two tablets and a phone or whatever yeah. and the, all over the world in developing countries people aren't even they're not even doing landlines everyone's bunny hopped that and went straight to cellular but as a result when you're in crowded environments whether it's in a developing country where it's just really crowded in a city or you're in a co-working space in New York or LA or whatever everybody needs headphones yeah. and beats of course was blowing up at the time we thought oh yeah this is this, we'll make some headphones that'll be ties right in perfectly yeah. so the idea for music came before headphones oh yeah yeah wow. and then the you know it was music somewhere but you didn't know what exactly yeah we just knew we needed to sell something to you know that help people that couldn't hear hear and hopefully hear music for the first yeah. time too right um so, so yeah just dove into it we dove we into it figure out how to make headphones yeah and had we looked into the headphone market <laughs> a little further we might have thought wow that's crowded yeah <laughs> right didn't realize there's quite a few brands out there yeah but uh but yeah so we we and then we decided of course well what kind of headphones do we want you know what what would we wear Number one, so we wanted something that was different, kind of cool. And then we also thought, well, they got to sound incredible. Otherwise, people will think it's a gimmick. And yeah. we thought, well, how come, you know, pianos and violins and, you know, guitars, amphitheaters, speakers, everything's made out of wood. Yep. How come headphones are made out of plastic? Can they make wood headphones? So we, uh, we found a manufacturer to make some wood headphones and test them out. And 
they sounded incredible and they looked amazing. Yeah. Every pair is unique. So, so basically we built the company around like the, in a nutshell, it's, you know, premium audio, um, with a powerful purpose of what our mission is. Yeah. So, um, and the way we built it is we fund our charity partner. We found the partner that's the best in the world for giving hearing aids away. Um, they so, did you, sorry, so you, you first, it was the first step to just dive in and figure out how to even make headphones. Yeah. We so you did that first. We basically, we met and Bridget actually happened to live like you right down the street from uh -huh. me. And I was like, that's weird, right? That never happens in LA. Yeah. And, uh, we went and met for lunch and, you know, talked and, you know, basically kind of went through it all. And then she was like, yeah, I want to do this, that, and the other. And we they, actually, we, we met at first and then about a month, um, went by actually we talked first I mean, and then about a month or so went by and then, um, we met back up and when we met back up, you know, we kind of had that, you know, she was like, I don't know how to do this. I am still working at universal, but I yeah. want to quit and figure this out. And, and I was like, I just really 100% thought this is something I think we could really do. And we high-fived and shook hands, and I bought tickets to China. And we flew to and China, and we found a factory. And, and you just went around to all the different factories and to see who could do it? Yeah, back then you could look a little bit. It was a little bit easier to, like, source some of that stuff. It's a bit harder now because yeah. some of the better factories don't really publish anything anywhere where you can find Before you could, like, look on Alibaba and find manufacturing and so on. But now it's just so overwhelmed with, like, basically the people people that are contacting through that are usually looking for like, you know, small order volumes. So most of the good factories don't list in those places. Yeah. If you're trying to grow something, you know, larger, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, that's how we did it then. Um, and, uh, and was wood the first you knew when, so when you went to that, on that trip to China, were you saying not only who can make good headphones, but who can make good wood headphones? Yeah, no, yeah. definitely. That was a hundred percent of it. Nuts. And then did you have to, there's obviously like a whole testing phase. You try everyone's shit and finally you land on this. These are going to be the guys. Yeah. I and mean, we really lucked out. One of the, fa the one factory that we work with, um, there's a guy there that, you know, I don't know how you know about the Chinese factories, right? Yeah. But like there's definitely a lot of people that don't care. They're definitely looking at like just dollars and cents. But we happen to have this this guy that is a huge music fan and and he just absolutely cares in, immensely about the quality wow. and he just fell absolutely in love with the mission to give people hearing so so we became like a priority you know to the him just because of who yeah. we were and what we were doing is and he still your guy he does a lot of our stuff. We have a few factories now for different products, but he does still a big chunk of our stuff. Got it. So then you. First, you get the headphones. Then the next step is you go try to find a charity that makes sense and that you agree yeah. with and that you like. Yeah. So we it contacted this charity. They're called Starkey Hearing Foundation. And initially, they didn't even get back to us because they're pretty busy traveling the world 11 months a year giving people hearing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure they're like, who's this, you know, leaving messages that they're yeah. starting a company to give them money, right? But, you know, they probably were like, yeah, right, whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it took us a minute, um, and we, as we launched the company, we we started funding another company um, that was only working in India and Africa, which was not what we wanted. We wanted to make sure that people understood this is a global problem, and yeah. we're working to solve it globally. And uh, 
And after only like a month or so of being launched, one of our customers emailed us and said, you guys should work with Starkey. And we're like, yeah, we're trying. You know? And uh, they said, oh, yeah, I know the director. Oh, so they're like the best. Uh, yeah, exactly. And they, and they happened to know the guy that's the director of the foundation, and they emailed him directly. And then he emailed or called us, and, uh, and he's just amazing he like one of our like, literally one of the best people ever he's one of our best friends wow. and same thing like we met with them and the organization's already pretty big um and it's just such an incredibly effective organization that you know the only reason that they they basically agreed to partner with us is because he believed in us yeah he was like you guys i i, I can't even believe that you guys you're starting a company with the whole purpose of funding our mission to give hearing. And, you know, he was just blown away. That's and, uh, so yeah, you instantly, do you instantly start taking trips and stuff to see what's going on? So, you know, we built the company around, um, you know, this mission. So that's really all we care about. So the first year, it was only about eight, it was about a year after Bridget and I met and started working together. It was about eight months after we launched the company that we went on our first mission. We did a two week mission that we funded in Peru. And, uh, and it was incredible because the very first day we had this girl that was, you know, this is a story that, that I've probably told the most because it was the first day of the first mission we ever went on. Yeah. And it, the, first of all, the mission work is pretty intense. It's like, a, it's like, you know, working at a trade show or something, you know, for 10 hours a day for weeks straight, you know, yeah. like it's just backbreaking and, you know, but the people that are there waiting to be seen, the you know, four or 500 people a day, you know, they're, you know, they're suffering much more than us. Yeah, so you just yeah. go and you get through it. But this girl, it was her 18th birthday and she had never had any, um, medical attention, right? Um, they live in a village somewhere and it took them a couple of days to get there. And her parents said that they really want to know if she's just deaf outright forever. Cause she's never heard. And she wants to know. And they, for her present, they wanted to bring her there to, they heard that there was this free, just yeah. for her to find out. Your present is you get to find out. Yeah, see if they're, so then, you know, they, she, she signed, you know, their parents had been able to get her in deaf school or, or teacher, or I don't know, they were communicating. And um, so we were able to ask the parents, um, you know, like, so she's never heard, do you think she's going to hear? And they were like, very much like, yeah, not really, but we want to know. And same with her. She was very like, Jesus. whatever. And um, you start off, we have 10 sets of hearing aids and we start off at the lowest one and we put it on each one as a volume of one to four. And we basically start and slowly roll up the volume and make a noise that we call it the bop, bop, bop song. But you basically go bop, 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 bop in their ear until uh, they can hear you. Yeah. If they can hear you. So we did the first couple levels and, you know, we're asking her if you, know, if you hear anything at all, anything at all. And she's getting like really sad, you know, she's like, you know, definitely no, no, no. And, and are you I'm, actually making the noises in her, like you're in there making the noise. Oh, I her. fit like literally oh, I've man. now that we've done this company, you know, for however many years now, um, three and a half, four years, you know, I've personally fit probably, I mean, I've personally fit thousands of people. Jeez. Yeah. It's crazy. Okay. But, so keep going. So, I get on like the third one and pop, 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 pop. And all of a sudden her eyes just light up and her mouth pops open. And like, she's just, and she's looking at her mom and then she starts crying and her mom starts crying and everyone's crying and we're crying and everyone's like, Oh my God. Like we just watched this girl's life just change in an instant. Cause from now on the rest of her life, from that moment forward, yeah, she can hear. 
And that's just crazy. Wow. There's very few things too when you think about I've like what. I've never had an experience close to that. Well, think about too, like even if you like work on a charity or some kind of thing and you do something for someone and you wind up, you know, donating to cancer or education. Even like education is a great example. Super worthy. But the reality is it takes like years to see the result. Yeah. It's not like nothing. Very few things are like instant. instant. It's like those viral videos, but you lived yeah. it. Yeah. And it's been a whole bunch more. So since we started the company, we've helped over 22,000 people get hearing. Um, we've done missions in Peru, Uganda, Kenya, Sri Lanka, um, China, Mexico, the Dominican Republic, Indonesia. And we've done a few in the States as well. So, wow. Yeah. We're... we're Coming up is India and the Philippines and probably um, the Middle East, probably Jordan. And possibly they're doing a mission we're trying to see that if, if uh, they need us to help with is uh, Afghanistan. So. And do you still get excited every time before you That's go? all I want to do. I don't want to sell headphones. <laughs> like I want to get people hearing. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been really That's fun. That's pretty nuts. That's really fucking nuts. Um, and it's a great quality. You know, we... we you know, selfishly, if you think about it, though, you know, I already, I had always dreamed of, I hadn't, I didn't leave the country really besides, you know, Baja, California until I was like 27, just because yeah, I didn't have be any, my, any ability. That's where I was going to go. Like, did you, traveling was not a part of your childhood. No, my parents, we never went, and we drove back to Chicago for like summer vacation in a camper that was on the back of a pickup truck, you know, like that kind of camper. Like we were... We didn't have like oh a summer house and wherever and winters in Vail. No, that and was, what was your <laughs> that first was not. time out of the country. Uh, the first time you know international, I was twenty-seven. And that was for what? I went. One of my friends was uh, doing a movie, and they got the the studio to pay for friend tickets, so they flew us out to Luxembourg of all places. My first international location was Luxembourg and did you <laughs> very random right? did you did the travel bug hit you then I'd always wanted to travel it's just expensive you know so but even there you were like this is incredible Luxembourg. oh yeah I had a blast yeah. and then so when you decided like I'm gonna leave my company and just go travel and do charity work and all this stuff you still at that point weren't that experienced with traveling right um, yeah, not really. I mean, I had done a lot of like Mexico or local like that only. Um, I hadn't been like even to Hawaii or anywhere really that, you know, normal, I mostly just the States, just what I could get to and accessible kind of things, you know? So, so it really took that, you know, kind of, I, I loved it. I thought immediately that you know once i started to, tra to travel i thought you know that's the whole key to everything if everybody traveled there would be a lot less intolerance i think people would be a lot more and even when you're in like these slums in haiti you just yeah you love it well i mean i think that that's part of like the you know like everybody's projected this oh if you're gonna do stuff and work for you know the greater good or philanthropy, you can't actually like have a nice life. No, you can go work in a slum all day and then go to the Ritz Carlton, have yeah. a Mai Tai. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like literally like that's not, it's not one or the other. Yeah. Like it's just, yeah. you know, if you're going to go to a place anyways on vacation, yeah, maybe figure out a way to do something that can have a positive impact while you're there. Yeah. Still do whatever else. You can still have fun. You don't have to feel guilty that you actually achieved something. You don't have to climb a tree to stop a bulldozer. I feel like that's yeah. bullshit, you know? Yeah. That's yeah. what turns people off, I think. They yeah. think they, they can't, you know, 
enjoy the things that they worked hard for, yeah. right? Like if I actually ever do get quote unquote, you know, rich or wealthy from all of the stuff that we're doing, I'm not going to feel bad about it. I've worked my ass off. You yeah. know? I've like been giving 110%. I came from nothing and I'll probably give it all away anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. why would I feel bad? You know? Man, how, how long, how many months out of the year are you gone? Do you think? Oh yeah. 50%? Um, you know, it's definitely, I would say it's probably 50% all in, including like the domestic, all that kind of stuff for sure. So what, um, and then what about the actual, uh, headphone business? Where do you guys, like, what's your biggest, uh, retailer or where's the biggest amount of business? Yeah, we actually sell in like interesting places. So, um, we're trying to focus mostly on, on direct to consumer online, um, because we can control, basically we have a story to tell and people need to know it. And it's hard to tell that story in retail. You know, it's a lot going on where, and these aren't just headphones. They look amazing and sound amazing, but we also have this mission, so we have to be able to, you know, get that message across. Um, because of the design element, we're fortunate. We get in a lot of really premier placements. So we're in Barney's, and we're in like, um, you know, the Disney Hall, LA Philharmonic. You know, yep. um, we're in a bunch of the Museum of Modern Art, you know, the Dallas Museum of Art, uh, a bunch of super premium hotels, all that kind of stuff. Um, Nordstrom. Is that for you like more of a, you use that more as a marketing tool or? Definitely though. We're still at that stage where most of what we do is, you know, it, the brand, it's a, it is an expensive and premium product to make. Yeah. Um, so, but it's priced below all of our competitors just because we want to be attainable. We want to make sure that we can't really change the world really without selling a whole lot of products. Yeah. So we can't make it so you know, expensive. So we have to keep that in mind when we design and develop anything, but everything's a super high quality, um, product. So it can't really sit like what, like the mainstream channels are selling right now, like the, the targets or whatever the world, they can't handle a price point of anything over like, you know, $20 for an earbud and $60 for a headphone kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but with that said, we've been very, very successful with partnerships. So we partnered with Google, we partnered with Spotify, we partnered with um, Amazon, we partnered, we have two massive partnerships launching right now, um, one with the, one of the biggest airlines in the world, where yep. we're replacing all the headphones um, on the airlines. And um, we have a, a whiskey company where we actually have a partnership we're announcing next week that uh, we've been working on for two years, but we made a, a whole bunch of headphones out of the actual scotch barrels from oh, the wow. whiskey barrels um, and they've been a great a really great partner um, and we're doing uh, collaborative gifting tins with that particular brand um, millions of those worldwide in 46 countries telling our story and all the press and PR and so on wow. so like that kind of stuff is really you know we really want to separate ourselves from the noise um, yeah. in the space because, you know, every time when we launched, that was the question we always got was, you know, why start another headphone company or another audio company? And we're like, we're not another headphone company. Yeah, yeah. So totally different. We don't look at it like that. Yeah. If we did, then we wouldn't have started. Yeah. <laughs> so, That's yeah. Um, I mean, back kind of to the original shit, I just wanted to, I wanted to be able to, I wanted people to hear your full story more before we really touched on it. But when it comes to the like being in control of your own happiness, obviously that was embedded in you 
from such a young age, but it seems like your life has just kind of constantly reassured you that that is correct, right? I mean, from the traveling it's, and from the following your instincts. It's, and from the, it's not even right or it's not that it's correct. It's yeah. just that I'm, I'm incredibly, um, I guess, analytical about most things. And when you just think about it, it's just a fact. If you stop right now and think of all the things that are going on in this room or in this city or in the world, the only thing that you actually are in control of is yourself, how you think and how you feel about it. Yeah. So that's it. Like anything else can happen. And I have zero control over that. If it happens, I can react to it. And I can decide how I'm going to act in, you know, starting something, but that's all, you know, that's yeah. all still yeah. here. And that's what really, yeah. you know, meditation or whatever you do for meditation, like some people run every morning and some people write and some people might, you know, have any kind of cathartic experience. You might play guitar, skate, you know, you know, I would call all of those things very meditative because when you do them, you don't think about anything else. Usually it's like a focus, you yeah. know, um, what do you do? What's your sort of daily routine? So I just actually recently switched. I was um, doing, so, so there's a great book. That, that, this is one that you'll love. And, yeah, and give it to me. Because I've, I've read 10% Happier a couple the, times. The, this is one that's like 10 times, 100 times better than that. Um, but it's called Daily Rituals. Okay. And it's all of the greatest, you know, not all of it. It's a, about 100 plus of the you know, greatest minds in history, whether they're artists or dancers or philosophers or whatever any type of people, Einstein you name it you know inventors and it's one to three pages of what their daily ritual was because almost all of them had one wow. and it's crazy how many were like I get up at they got up at five every single day and they worked on whatever they worked on for most people that do deep it's called like deep focus work yep. that requires like you know creation and deep thought don't do it for more than four hours a day because you can't because your mind just shuts Explode, down yeah. but if but they do it like a job at a certain time because it gets you into like a pattern right and then like all the other pieces around your day so i was actually getting up and doing a hike every morning um literally every single morning i was doing like a three to seven mile hike are you up at like five yeah i get i make myself get up at five same thing from like the past though um, when it's people always say, Oh, you're like, you know, you're lucky. Like you're, you're healthy. You're in good shape. No, I'm just, I make myself get up. I yeah. work harder at it. So you still, when you wake up in the morning, you're like, I don't, I'm exhausted. Get out of bed. Yeah. I'm like right now I got up this morning, but so, um, the point of that though, is that I was doing that every single morning. And so I made a list that I, this is how I operate. Like I started actually really accounting for all of my time and throughout the day too, I try to like write what I'm planning on doing by the hour throughout the day and you can change it. But that way you can see as you fill out your day, like, man, most of that stuff is just a bunch of bullshit. Like I basically, if I spend all day paying my bills and cleaning my kitchen and doing that, that none of that is going to change my life. Yeah. I need to have at least a few hours a day of big picture stuff like working toward big picture stuff because yep. if I don't and I don't plan it next thing I know it's like a month went by a year went by and I just been you know cleaning, yeah, my, kitchen. cleaning my kitchen <laughs> yeah because it's because because it's a lot easier to clean your kitchen than yeah. to write your novel you know so or for kids fucking check your Instagram exactly <laughs> so yeah that's a whole nother thing so I have a whole thing on that I don't I don't I try to not check emails after six o'clock and or and before 10 a.m 
and I try to only answer emails in blocks of time. You know, everybody See, says that. A, that's such a commonly used technique of a lot of really successful people and a lot of high performers. I've thought about trying to do it. I just have never so, committed, but it just, it keeps, it's a reoccurring thing with a lot of really successful All people. these studies are just showing that, you know, you can't really produce anything if you're constantly interrupted. You know, and it's you very do not have the ability to multitask. Nobody does. Everyone thinks they do. No, it you're shitty exist. at ten things at once. Yeah. yeah, it's not a great idea. Yeah, um, yeah. There's not like any concert pianist that was like, oh, I practice for like a minute and then I answer my phone and then I practice. You know, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. you got to get into that and like put in a couple hours. Yeah. So yeah, so my routine was that, and then I started writing again um, because I find that I'm, I'm, I'm definitely most. Um, effective and productive and clear-minded in the morning and generally from when I wake up until around 10 or 11 that's like my peak performance time. I picked up a, a script that I've been writing for about 15 years and I made a, a list um, again so I, I have this thing that's I, I have this list called actions express priorities and that's a famous quote that uh, Gandhi said but we all talk about like I want to lose weight or I want to do this and da, 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 da. it's like your actions express your priorities. If you're not doing anything to lose weight or to get a better job or whatever, then clearly you don't want that. Yeah. Because your priority is to watch TV and to eat shitty ass Del Taco. Yeah. You know, so I have a list that says, these are the things that I actually know make me happy that I want to do. And it's like skate, you know, hike, meditate, write, um, you know, all those, those things. And I, it's literally like a checklist. I made it on an Excel spreadsheet and I've been updating this for about six years. And I write, when I woke up, what I weigh, those are the first two things that I write. And the very last thing I usually write is whether I drank at all the night before. Yeah. Because it's funny, you notice, like, if you drank the night before, like, the next few days you didn't do shit. The <laughs> all the checkboxes are empty. Yeah. Like, it just completely yeah. derails a month of productivity in, like, one night. It's just gone. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so... Uh, you know, I, I use that kind of accountability and you, you know, there's a lot of also a lot of theories that you'll probably see in like self-help or whatever you want to call those types of books or productivity books or success books about um, seeing a chain. Like if you have like 10 days in a row of something, you don't want to break that chain. Like yeah. mentally you're like, I got to do this again. Right. Um, so. I also did that. I started. I told myself, "Why haven't I been writing this script that I love?" I had the whole idea outlined for 15 years now, and I love it. And I think it's a massive thing. It could probably be the biggest thing I've ever done in my life, and have a positive impact on the world as a whole if it did what I think it could do. And again, these are big, grandiose ideas, but that's how I, I think about it. So I made a list, and I said, if I just wrote two pages a day, every day, and I made it, put it on two things by December, I'd have 150 pages. So I made that list about, um, yeah, about 10 days ago, um, and I'm on day 10, and I've wrote 20 pages. Wow. And every morning I get up and I do that first because it was on my list of things to do. But after I would get up and hike and you know meditate yeah. and do whatever stretch or some other things, it would get pushed back, and that would be the one thing that I wouldn't get to. And it's hard to do that without really having unobstructed time. So now I've been doing the mornings of writing every morning when I get up, and I make myself get up. You know, the latest usually 5.30, you don't care if it's dark. And after a while, you just start to feed on it. You're like, I'm up when everybody else is sleeping. I'm doing, I'm doing something. And now the writing part, too, the first few days was really hard. It was definitely hard. Now I, I don't want to stop. I get into it, and I'm like, man, this is, like, so fun. I'm creating this whole thing, and it's da-da-da-da. And then, like, tonight, one of the reasons I was late is because I left the office, but I brought my stuff to hike, 
and I changed at Runyon and I did Runyon on my way gotcha. home yep. so I could like do a hike before and try do to do something physical every day. I try. Yeah, I try. And do you still do like weight training and stuff like that or no? No, I really do. I mean, I basically do my routine is about a 20 minute routine. Um, I do push-ups, I do like pull-ups, sit-ups, and then I do dumbbell weights. I just do some presses and curls and, uh, it's like a little tiny circuit that I yeah. do. I do two sets of this circuit. I think that's all you kind of need to do if you do it every day, every other day. Yeah. That's kind of, and plus for me, like I travel so much, I want something I can really do in a hotel or a hotel room or try to at least squeeze something in. So. Yeah. And you notice a direct correlation to sort of the check boxes on your list and your just general happiness level. Yeah. Like, not a question about it. No. Yeah. Yeah, there's no question at all. I mean, even, you know, when you think about, like, meditation, right? Like, it takes... Your mind is like a muscle, too. You yeah. Know? If you're going to go to the gym if in a year, if you go to the gym five days a week, you're going to be physically a lot more fit. If you meditate every day, even if it's five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it is, after four months, you're going to be good at it. You're actually going to go, wow, I can actually concentrate. I can focus. And now I'm going to direct that ability toward a problem I have yeah. instead of just trying to, you know, count my breath or something. Now I can actually go, you know, there's this thing going on at work. I'm just going to think about that in just that for 10 minutes, not my phone, not all these other distractions. And a lot of the time you can strip away all the bullshit and actually make a much better decision and feel good about it, you know. And it changes the way your brain operates. Yeah. yeah. I mean, did you learn that all on your own or did you have like some sort of... That book really helped me, but there's a couple other books um, and there's all kinds of apps now. You can use Headspace. They yeah. have like the 10-day challenge. There's another one. I can't remember the name of it. But I just uh, always feel like I need like a teacher or something, but I guess it's as simple as just sitting there and paying attention. No, I do think that, that it's better to have like instruction because, you know, it, it doesn't do you any good to just count your breath, you know, or just like focus on your breath for a year straight. You know, yeah. that's not the point of meditation. I think a lot of people don't really understand that. The, the breath part is just to teach you how to focus and then you should do things like, you know, think about how lucky you are. Gratitude. There's a, there's a, uh, a, there's a lot of studies about if you just wake up, that's why they have that, like wake up in the morning and write three things you're grateful about. If you just do that for even like a week, you start to be you start to become happier because you just think you're happier. <laughs> like your mind works in amazing ways. Like you'll actually they did a study I saw recently where they actually um, told people at an off they had a control group and non control group at an office. It was a big office, and they told um, half the people the the non control group they said um, they told them how much energy they were expending while they were at work every day just walking around and da, 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 and you know basically made it like you know you're actually getting a workout by working here and just your normal yeah. day yeah. and they didn't tell the control group and after like six months the people they told that lost weight like like actually like in a you know overall lost weight because they thought i'm wow. losing weight doing the exact same thing <laughs> yeah. as the other group and the other group no different yeah it's crazy stuff that one's a little on the extreme side, but still. No, I just I'm such a fan of that type of shit. And and you do you ever find yourself like really losing it and, and having to reel yourself back in? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely times when, you know, I'm not like some Jedi master, you know, yeah. it's perspective. And there's there's still times though, it's like anything, you know, where 
you know, you need to fall down. Yeah. You know, you need to you know realize you're never going to be perfect. You know, if you think you're going to be perfect, you might as well not do it. But you know, the whole point is that, you know, it's kind of like the meditation. Like the point of meditation isn't. You know, I always hear people say this. They go, "Oh, I tried to meditate, and I, I, I was really bad at it. I couldn't do it." It's like there's no bad. Yeah. Like if you have like other thoughts when you're trying to focus, come in. You don't ignore them and go, "Oh, I gotta ignore that." You actually just acknowledge it and go, "Yeah, that happened. I'm just gonna let that go away." And then you kind of slowly get used to filtering until your brain calms down enough that you can think and it's the same with life there's times that i can't actually completely unwind i'll go have like four margaritas yeah. you know, and that works pretty well yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'll, that'll definitely that's what i love about you too is you're like <laughs> yo i try my best but like sometimes i just get shit faced and i don't do shit for the next five days it just you know sometimes <laughs> though that happens when you go on vacation and you just let everything go and you yeah. just kind of don't think about much and that's a life experience you know you got to balance everything out but uh, you know it's really what you hold yourself accountable for in the long run where you know you know that that's you know your goal is to get better your goal is to you know f to be able to put together a plan and execute on it and have some things that you achieve that mean something to you and you know really in in one little nutshell it's just about when people talk about purpose you know whether you're trying to save the world or whether you're trying to you know, make your family have a better life or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. I think happiness is just directly correlated to your belief that you have purpose. Yeah. And you need to work on finding purpose. I agree. I agree so much. Whatever that is. And the purpose doesn't have to be so grand. No. It can be it just take care of your grandma forever. You know, yeah. whatever it is, there's tons of noble, incredible things that people yeah. do all the time. What sort of uh, emphasis would you put on traveling to like general mental well-being like is it incredibly important to you or you know i just think it's perspective yeah. you know i think that everybody is better off traveling um and some people you know will probably travel and not enjoy it you know like my mom complains when she goes to certain places and things because it's different you know from what she's comfortable around but then other times she goes places and thinks it was the coolest thing she's ever seen you know it's like you know it's it just i think that having that perspective you know really allows a lot more uh understanding yeah yeah did you ever relapse did you ever go back to drugs at all you know it's funny after i quit um i probably did drugs like once maybe twice a year yeah for about maybe 10 or 12 years and then it fell off to like you know maybe once every not to crack obviously but I would do something, you know, at a party or New Year's or, you know, on a holiday in some remote place or something. But it's funny because it never really had the same effect. Yeah. And it always, one of the things too, as you get older, I'm sure you kind of get it already that, you know, you stop wanting to feel so shitty the next day. Yeah, that's starting to hit me. <laughs> yeah. When you're younger, you don't, you know, your body recuperates so much faster. And the older you get, you're like, you know what? It, you start to realize kind of like when you're really sick you say you get like the flu and you have the flu for like a week yeah. the first day that you oh, don't have the flu you feel yeah. so amazing you're like yeah. man well that's kind of how i feel like now when i'm just all the time i'm like i feel great like i don't really want to mess that up you know? like i don't really need to go for some other so I've you already don't consider done it yourself all. like an addict by any means or anything like that like it's not something you've struggled with i, I think that that a lot of people have problems that require different um, treatments or solutions, but I think a lot of people are addicted to 
the rehabilitation aspect. You know, there's a ton yeah. of people that are addicted to the 12 step program, you know, or whatever it is. And I, I honestly, I have a very specific opinion about that. I think that that they have an issue, that an addiction problem, and they're addicted to the 12 step program or whatever the thing is that they have that is the, the alternative. 99.9% yeah. .9 of the time, it's a way better alternative than the actual addiction. So fine. You know, yeah. that's like religion. A lot of people go full blown, like, you know, oh, I was saved and I'm now hyper religious because I was, I used to be a criminal or yeah, a drug yeah. addict or whatever. It's like, great. I'd rather you be obsessed with God or whatever you're worshiping than then potentially run somebody over, wasted on PCP, you know, so. Um, okay, last thing. So everything that you've been through, everything you've experienced to a kid who, let's say, was like you as a kid who doesn't know exactly what but is just driven beyond all means, right? Just wants to get rich, wants to have a happy life, just wants to succeed, whatever success means. What advice would you give? I think, you know, when you're when you're young, you know, you, you should just really think about the things that make you happy. You know, that list that I mentioned, it has, you know, skateboarding and surfing and all these things on it where I catch myself where I don't do those for big periods of time. And it's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm making some wrong decisions, you know. So whatever you do, make sure that you don't think that at some point there's going to be this end and you're going to, like, be able to do whatever you want. You have to have your life happen every day and do everything every day. So I think that if you, if you approach what you want to do with your life with that in mind, you'll be able to figure it out. Because like you said, if you choose something and it doesn't work out exactly, you can always change or correct. Yeah. But as long as you're happy on the way, it won't be as hard. Yeah. yeah. Those are gems. You don't realize because like it's just your life, but like, that was a really good, you just have a really, really interesting, positive fucking outlook on things. And you do it in a way where it's still relatable and you're not like, you don't act like you're above anyone because you're so happy or because you're so, you know what I mean? Or you have it all figured out or like you're a normal fucking dude. Yeah. Had you just came in and we just chopped it up for a second, Danny wouldn't have known any different that you have this deeper sort of idea on things. And I think, like I said, you know it because you know all the stuff you do and all that, but it's good to hear, man. It's it's the logic stuff, though. Like you were saying, do you ever break? Like there's times when someone will cut me off in traffic and you start to go, and then you go, why am I going to get mad? Like what is that going to do, you know? And once you start to keep applying that same repetitive logic to all of the things, you go, you know, there's a quote, I don't know if I told you before, but it's getting getting angry is like punishing yourself for something someone else did. Yeah. So like why? Because you make yourself feel bad. Like anger doesn't feel good. So, but you apply that to everything. It's like why am I? And it's like obviously you don't want to be like the crazy guy where like the building's on fire and you're like, no, I'm super happy. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, when the building's on fire, I'm not going to actually worry about anything other than what I need to do to get out of the building. Yeah. And you know, it's like then when I get out, I'll be like, well, that building burned down. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Thank yeah. God I cut the clear head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to be like, oh my God. Yeah. A, yeah. I don't know. That's yeah, just, I just it, you, it's, it's a, it's a, I don't know, man. I think you, you, uh, I don't want to say underestimate, but I, People are going to listen to it, and, and it's going to definitely affect some people. I, I hope. That's, that's awesome. Man. What about any books? 10% Happier? Yeah, you know, I think that um, 
Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of great books. A, a relationship book, I think, that's really interesting about the balance, you know, of the polarity, I guess, of of the dominant, like male, female kind of, but not necessarily male, female, just whatever those roles are, um, called The Superior Man. It was a David Data book. Um, but it's really, really insightful just in terms of like ways that in relationships people need to realize that you have to have a balance you know um that's did a great you book. and your fiance both read that no i i actually i think i'd like her to read it she probably won't think i'm as smart as i as she thinks i am because she'll realize i probably some of the came from the book no but <laughs> it has some really really interesting insights i really do love um there's a book called deep focus that really talks about the value that there's basically a huge opportunity and this is something you know to young people I, again i would always say that that, that uh you know that the one thing that's super applicable to my life that um, Rob Nan and I always kind of reiterate to one another is like, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Yeah. Like you got to surround yourself and, and constantly change. Like I've had different, I've got old friends of course from forever, but you know, you're, as you grow, your friends need to grow with you or you need to get friends that you, know, you need to be the, yeah. try to be the dumbest person in the room. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, other thing about like the deep focus is like the value, right? Um, so people don't realize that there's all this stuff and all this content and all these things that people are trying to create, but most of it is just a bunch of cursory bullshit. It's like super one sentence stuff on you know Twitter or whatever, on Instagram, on whatever else, um, Snapchat, the instantaneous kind of things where there's not that many people creating actual things of value that require deep thought because very few people have the ability to focus on anything right now yeah so that's an opportunity if you actually look at it like that like hey i'm gonna actually produce more even like at companies um this book has a lot of reference points that i actually believe in and this is something that you might want to think about for your company um but and i actually just met a guy recently that told me something very similar with his company but the point is that you know, production isn't, it shouldn't be measured in hours. It should just be measured in effectiveness, right? Yeah. So there's another quote I love that's, you know, being efficient is getting things done right. Being effective is getting the right things done. Yeah. So somebody might be able to come to work for like three hours and get more done than the guy that comes for eight hours because the guy that comes for eight hours is doing whatever and Facebook and he struggles and blah, blah, blah. And the other guy might just come in and actually focus on the task and just knock it out. Yeah. So... We don't actually, you know, reward that enough, I guess. Um, but there's a lot of philosophy around, you know, basically the people that do come to work that can identify what actually is the most important things and get it done and get it done effectively versus, you know, all of the other stuff. For instance, like if you came to work, if I came to work for you and I actually said, yeah, I'm not, you know, you were like, hey, you didn't answer my email. I'm like, yeah, I don't answer my emails from, you know, eight to noon or whatever and you after a couple days you're gonna be like who's this guy <laughs> you know, yeah. he's not even answering my emails like i pay his check yeah. and then at the end of the next week you realize i generated like 10x sales than anybody else yeah. you're gonna go everybody else stop answering your emails yeah. <laughs> you know like he's onto something i focus but that's kind of i guess like a really good book it's called deep focus it kind of brings into perspective you know ways to to block out the clutter, you know, so you can actually yeah. produce 
And then the other one was Daily Rituals. Daily Rituals. I loved that one because it's just, it's just a bunch of little vignettes. You, know, you, you read, you know, one person's might be one page and one yeah. person's might be like five pages. And everyone, you know, they're really in, you know, interesting. Some were bizarre. Most of them were like, I, get, I shouldn't say most, but a ton of them sounded very similar to like what you said. They're real. They're real people. They, they work like that. And even, you know, and, then, and then like a lot of them every night would, you know, at five o'clock, drink 10 glasses of wine, you know, and had some like excessive, you know, personality disorder, but then still got up and painted every single day or, yeah. you know, so it's just kind of, you know, it's really interesting to hear what Be people did. Thing. Yeah. Is reading on your checklist yes. of happy things? Yeah. Yeah. Reading. Um, and I have, actually, I broke it. That one's actually in a box with three things, um, Spanish, French, and, and reading. So I, I try to do one of those three, either Duolingo French or Duolingo Spanish. Do you ever use Duolingo? No. It's a language online app. It's like a gamified language app. It's amazing. So um, you're learning <clears throat> both languages? Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty fluent in Spanish, but um, wow. French, because um, me and my fiance are getting married in France, yeah. and it's hard to do that when you don't speak to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so either read or learn another language. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize how little I spoke until that we went like a while back, and I was like, I can't, I can't count. I couldn't like, I couldn't say almost, I, I thought I had like the travel amount of language and I realized really quickly that I was very unprepared this last trip I was much better but but yeah and reading um and I think yeah and there's a there's a reason too for that um that when you actually when you actually um get a pattern right so say you read every night before you go to bed Uh you're training your mind and know that when you read you're going to go to sleep and it's kind of a trigger and it helps you kind of sleep and you know that kind of thing like if if you have any kind of you know trouble going to bed or anything like that or sleeping quickly or solidly or that kind of stuff so just having routines like that even like for me getting up and writing in the morning like i said like now and now that I've done it for even just a brief period, like when I wake up, that's the first thing I want to do. Like it's just in my mind, it's like sit yeah. down and start writing, you know, so, yeah. All right, man, I appreciate it. Where, uh, let everyone know, what's the, the, the headphone website? Yeah, it's listen, spelled without the vowels, we're very anti-vowel. So it's L-S-T-N, sound.com or .co, either one works, but, uh, but yeah. Anything else, any other plugs, any other? Um, no, I think actually, you know, if anyone goes to the site, obviously you can see all the socials and all that stuff on the site as well, but, um, you can see a lot more. We have a lot of videos of the admissions and trips and stuff like that. And, and you can see all the products. We just, um, the other plug I would say is we just launched for everyone that's iPhone seven, you know, we just launched all the wireless products. So, um, our wireless flagship model of the Troubadours just landed. It's actually just shipped this week um started shipping to all the customers this week so it's in stock um and yeah the wireless earbuds are coming out in about three weeks so and they're pretty awesome i appreciate you coming over late and fucking having this long conversation with me but we got some really good shit yeah it's past my bedtime bro (laughs) i'll walk you home exactly (laughs) thank you so much for having me seriously i really enjoyed it all right there you have it Episode 21, I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I know it was a long one, but I there was just so much information in there and so many little gems in there that I really wanted to pull out of him and that, you know, I'm going to be honest, I was being a little bit selfish in there. I just wanted to hear what books he was reading and kind of his outlook on things. And so I was asking him questions just for myself. So I hope you guys stuck it out. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, 
listen headphones please look it up go to the website look at the stuff that he's doing look at the stuff that he's done you know joe's in a really really competitive market with headphones but what he's trying to do is so amazing and so different than what any of these headphone companies are doing and i just really think it's important for everyone to go check that out look at what he's really doing and I don't know, man. Get, show some support. Maybe order a pair of headphones. Leave some comments on the social media. His social media, the uh, Instagram is LSTN Sound. Facebook is LSTN Headphones. Twitter is LSTN. Uh, give him a follow. Pay attention to what he's up to. Give him some support, comments, all that stuff. Like I said, it's all going to such an incredible cause. And uh, he's a great guy. So thank you guys for listening. Episode 21. We will see you next time. Bye bye.